tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. Won't cost you to make a call. And we're always glad to hear from you. Emma is looking after the programme today. And uh, when I find all of my bits and pieces here, I'll be able to tell you what's coming up on the show today as well. Of course, you can text and WhatsApp on 083-311-3311. You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, coming up, uh, Pina Fall TD, Jackie Cahill, as Pat told you, calling for urgent action on loose, unidentified horses. We'll chat to Jackie in just a few moments' time. We remember the assassination of JFK on this, the 60th anniversary of his death. Now, we carry on the conversation from yesterday. Should we ban salt from our restaurants? Because according to uh, Professor Luke O'Neill, we should do so. The Conspiracy Files with Ali today, very interesting one too. Uh, not one, but two singer-songwriters joining us live in studio. And we have gardening with Alta Nesbitt towards the end of the show. And if you have a gardening query, will you log it with us as soon as you possibly can, please? And again, that's on 083-311-3311 for text and WhatsApp. A look at the front pages of your newspapers, the Irish Times, their lead story. Uh, the first group. Of 12 to 13 Israeli hostages held by Hamas in Gaza, possibly including dual nationals, uh, could be released as early as tomorrow in return for a temporary truce in the fighting. Also on the Irish Times, we're reading that the government is likely to propose expanding the definition of the family beyond the marital family in a second referendum planned for early in March. It will be held on the same day, likely March 8th, as the referendum on deleting the reference in the Constitution to a woman's place being in the home. The Irish Examiner and their main story is about uh, 30 businesses in Middleton in limbo as insurance companies are treating them with absolute disdain by stalling payouts on policies uh, following the damage caused by the recent storm there. Um, the other story on the front page of the examiner, workers and employers are to be hit with five consecutive PRSI increases in the coming years. Now, the government has signed off on increases to PRSI each year between 24 and uh, 2028, which will see the average employee pay an extra €46 Euro a year from next October. And ministers have agreed to the tax changes, which will begin with uh, two hikes, one next October and then again in 2025. And uh, let's have a look at the independent. By the way, just to say that right across the newspapers today, um, images from that um, that uh, Irish soccer game last night. The Independent, dominated by a photograph of James McLean, who brought his kids, um, Ali May, uh, Willow Ivy, and Junior James onto the pitch uh, before his final international game for Ireland. As uh, Stephen Kenny's uh, crew drew one all in a rather dreary friendly, I suppose, with uh, New Zealand at the Aviva that marked the manager's last game in charge. Also on the Indo today, HSE Chief Bernard Gloucester warned Health Minister Stephen Donnelly that the health services financial crisis will worsen this time next year, creating significant and punitive 
risks to the public. There you go. That'll cheer you up. Um, finally, on the, uh, the Irish Daily Mail, in their main story, many refugees face being left out in the cold this Christmas after the government admitted it can't guarantee that they will not be housed in tents at this uh, at this point. So that's a look at what's making headlines. Do you want to make comment on any of that? 83 311 We'll play Tip FM's Match 3 game in association with Stakelums a little later on in the programme and we have a nice prize for you and again I'll tell you about that in just a little while. Now you will have heard in our news bulletin that uh, Fianna Fáil TD for Tipperary Jackie Cahill has called for urgent action to be taken to tackle the dangers that loose unidentified horses opposing to road users around uh, the county particularly around the Littleton area and Jackie joins me now. Good morning Jackie. Good morning Fran. Good to talk to you today. This follows on from a rather serious road accident near uh, near Littleton Jackie. Yes, and I wish the motorist um, the very best. I hope he makes a full recovery. And um, that accident, accident happened early yesterday morning. And, you know, this is something I've raised before, and it's something we discussed at the Judge Country Commission before. And there is very significant legislation there, but there's no the compliance is at, a, is at a lower level. The last figure I got about horses was that 19% of them didn't carry a microchip, which means if any incident happens, whether it is safety or welfare, it's impossible to trace the owner. And unless you're able to trace the owner, you, you can't impose the sanctions that are there in the legislation. And, you know, Bordemona, you know, have, have allowed the situation to develop in this area where they've made no attempt, even when the briquette factory was fully operational, you know, horses were wandering around um, in, front of, in front of the factory, etc. at that time. So the situation has even worsened um, since, since the, um, you know, Bordemona have ceased production there. And, um, you know, there's a lot, lot of horses in that area, but it's not confined to the Littington area. You know, we've had incidents with, with horse welfare in other parts of the county as well. And when, you know, when, when the department would come in or the county council who have responsibility for it would come in, they'd find that the horse is microchipped. So there's very little that can be done and they can impound the horse but there's no, there's no, um, there's no, there's no mm. power to bring the the owner of the horse to justice. So we need we need compliance in this area. The, the legislation is there. The county council are saying they haven't got the resources for it, and I can fully understand, you know, to do something with this amount of horses would cost a significant amount of money. So, you know, it's something I'm going to be bringing up at the Agricultural Committee in the very near future that you know there is resources put in to deal with this issue because it's only going to get worse and worse. Yeah, and I was looking at your correspondence with us, Jackie. Um, I had heard stories from that area a lot over the years, but you're talking about hundreds of horses here, are you? Yeah, you know, there's obviously there's a very significant acreage there, so um, I don't know when there has the last been a census done there, but you're not talking about 10 or 20 horses here, you're talking about a large quantity of horses, and um, as you know, it, it, in the early morning or at night, if you come across, a, uh, come across a horse on the road, it can be very, very difficult to see them in the more wet conditions that we have this time of year, so there's a huge safety issue there. There's also a welfare issue, Fran, and we've had this in our county on, yeah. on a good few occasions. But the owners of the land have responsibility here too, that's born in the morning. But I think, you know, we have to give the resources so that the legislation that's there can be forced to be complied with. Right. Is the elephant in the room here, Jackie, the travelling community? Well, they, you know, there's a lot of these horses owned by, by that ethnic group. And, you know, if you own livestock, 
uh, whether it's equine or bovine, that brings responsibilities with it. And, um, you know, if this was a bovine, this was a cattle situation, it couldn't be tolerated that the cattle wasn't um, properly registered and in full compliance with all, uh, with, all, with all legislation. The same thing has to apply to horses. Mm. If you want to keep horses, uh, you know, there's no one saying you can't keep horses, but first of all, you have to have the resources to keep them, and secondly, you have to comply with the legislation that's there. Mm. But this comes up time and time again. I think you and I discussed it, in fact, the last time. There was gross cruelty to horses in that area as well, and it seems that not only has anything been done very much, but it seems to be getting worse now. Yeah, you know, I suppose I worked closely with the county council vet, and um, in fairness to him, you know, when we raised the situation with him, he does do all that he can, and he has impounded horses on a number of occasions there. But the county council haven't got the budget to deal with mm-hmm. this. It's an expensive job to round up horses and, you know, to take them to a pound. And as you can know, if you go into a wide area like there to try to try and, you know, get horses into into a confined area and load them and take them to the nearest pound, it's going to take, it takes a lot of resources and a lot of manpower. So it's not a, you know, there's a lot of money involved here in doing it. And of course, you have to do it in in in, in full compliance with the station that's there, and you have to put up notices, mm. etc., cetera, etc., cetera, before you do it. Um, because you know this isn't a commonage. Um, this land is owned is owned by Bonamore in this area. But if you are on, you know, if this horse is trespassing any land, a notice has to be put up for a couple of days beforehand before they can be impounded. And the county council have done, you know, they have done it on a number of occasions, and I suppose they've exhausted the resource that they have for it. But you know the county council, um, you know, um, this he was out, of, you know, he was um, at this at this incident yesterday morning, and he's exasperated mm. by the lack of resources that he has to deal with the issue as well. Yeah, but I, I, I'm sure you remember as well uh, when when uh, there was an issue with horses outside of Clan Mill. We got some figures on what it took to even look <laughs> after one horse and bring one horse to the front, and I think it was over ten grand. I mean, it's colossal amounts uh, of money. But what do you do, Jackie, if you can't? find ownership. I mean, if nobody's holding their hands up and saying, we own those horses and they're not microchipped, what do you do then? Well, first of all, I suppose if no one comes forward to claim ownership, the horse can be microchipped then. And it is possible to rehome these horses. Um, you know, there's a lot of riding schools, etc. Not only here in this country, but, you know, across Europe that would take in these horses. And have, have you the powers to do that? Well, yes. If the horse isn't, isn't microchipped, there's officially no owner for him. Oh. And if no one comes forward to claim them and prove that they own them, which is very difficult, we might be microchipped. Yes, the horse can be rehomed, and you know, in certain cases where there's welfare issues, euthanasia has been used as well. But none of us want to see that happening to these horses. And um, you know, a lot—I uh, won't say a lot—but a, a number of horses have been rehomed, and some of them have gone to riding schools, you know, in Germany, etc., where you know there is there is a demand for them. But you know, they can be rehomed, and um, the ownership. If you can come forward and prove you're on the horse, then the horse, you know, um, you know, as you say, we've had incidents that there were such welfare issues with the horse. Mm. The only humane thing was euthanasia. The horse was so was, was so far gone. But in an absolute case, these horses, you know, in in you know, in the Littleton area would have a lot of forage to get when that's huge acres, your bog that's there. So, you know, at this time, there's not, I wouldn't say there's a welfare issue there. So it's it's compliance and uh, it's compliance with the legislation that's there and ensuring that incidents like this don't happen on the road. And my understanding is yesterday there was the horse killed on the road in the incident. And, um, you know, again, um, there was no way of proving who owned that horse. 
So, you know, as regards insurance, etc., mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the owner of the vehicle, and, you know, hopefully, you know, that he will recover fully from his injuries. But, um, you know, to hit something and no insurance, and I suppose I had the same experience with deer myself, but deer are a wild animal. Yeah. These horses are owned by someone, so the owner of these horses have responsibility. We haven't spoken, Jackie, since that attempt to impose many international protection applicants on the community in Cashel and those unfortunate events in, in Ross Grey. And they're like, where, where do you stand? I mean, I know where your party stands, but where do you stand on further groups coming into Tipperary communities where, as you know, resources are already stretched to the limit? Yeah, you know, I suppose I would like to distinguish we, we, in Charlotte and in other towns, we have a lot of Ukrainians who have come in and their families and they're blending very well into the community. But, you know, when you're bringing in asylum seekers in, in the main and they're single men, and, you know, I think rural communities and rural towns, you know, are nervous of this, and rightly so. And um, I think this needs to be re- reassessed. And I think our country has played a huge part in both Ukraines and, you know, taking asylum seekers over the last number of years. And just, I just had the headlines there this morning when they're talking about, you know, we only have tens uh, to put people in for the winter months. I think we have to reassess how many we have in the country at this stage. And uh, I think, you know, we have to say, you know, we can only cater for X amount. Um, we're, I, in my view, we're at that level, uh, maybe gone beyond it. And um, I think it's time, it's, you know, it's time to reassess it. And most definitely for asylum seekers, uh, you know, rural towns, um, to have a group of 70-plus men come into a rural town um, is not appropriate, in my opinion. Yeah, even though last night I heard your party leader respond to uh, a question, and it was sort of centred around the, the, the killing of... Uh, Ashing Murphy, but he did say at the end of the day, um, you know, there is that policy within European countries, and and there's little that can be done about it. I mean, do you go along? Yeah, well, do 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 backbenchers go along with that, Jackie? Well, look, we our job is to listen to our constituents and obviously to to reflect the views of our constituents, and that's what I'd be doing at the parliamentary party. And you know, Ashing Murphy's case, uh, my understanding, like he wasn't an asylum seeker. Um, you know, people across Europe have, have, have obviously everyone in the in the U27 have have free access and free travel across the countries. We have an open travel area, and um, that's part of being in the EU. But um, you know, um, it's the asylum seekers definitely is an area that needs to be re-examined. And to say that rural towns can take in this amount of single men into you know confined accommodation, to me, um, that's not a runner, and it's something that needs to be looked at again and reassessed. All right. And, I mean, that's something you would speak up against, would you? Yeah, look, we have played a huge role in this, and um, I think we really stepped up to the mark as regards Ukrainian families. <coughs> Ukrainian families coming in, and I said, my own hometown has a very significant population now of Ukrainians, and, um, you know, my office is open five and a half days a week, and I haven't had one complaint um, from anyone about, you know, the Ukrainians, etc. The schools, etc., have taken in the kids, and I'd be talking to principals on a regular basis, and they're delighted with the way the young children are blending in with the other kids in their class. And, the, you know, the spare families are extremely anxious, you know, to get work and to come part of their local communities. But asylum seekers are single men um, coming in, um, coming into rural towns, being put into a confined area. That's creating huge concern and that has to be recognised. All right, Jackie, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. That's uh, Fianna Fáil TD for Tipperary. Jackie Cahill speaking to us this morning. 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp 
is uh, 0833113311. Listen says every animal should be chipped and have a passport from birth to death. And it's mainly the travelling community that have uh, these horses. Now, I suppose I could say to you that that probably is the case, but we don't know for sure because... There is no official ownership. Um, okay. Um, somebody else saying there's always an agenda. This is making reference to one of the headlines in the newspapers uh, today uh, about future referenda. Um, there's always an agenda behind referendums in this country, says a listener. And after what happened with the abortion referendum, where there's a push by certain parties to change what people vote for, so it will be a no from me to any referendum by this sitting government. 083-311-3311 Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on You can't beat experience With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans We like to call ourselves the experts Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today 067-24111 Or slatterysgarage.ie now, refurbishment to work on Cashel Garda Station uh, due to begin in the coming weeks and temporary uh, care Cashel Municipal District. Um, uh, uh Declan Burgess joins me now. Declan, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome indeed. What is the latest on this? Have we a time scale, for <clears throat> example, Declan? Well, I suppose, first of all, um, I suppose I really have to welcome the engagement um, by both Tipperary County Council and on Garda Siakana in trying to find a solution here um, while the building works take place down in, in Hogan Square in, in the existing Cashel Garda station. Um, so, look, they're vacating uh, tomorrow um, from, from from the Garda station in Cashel. Uh, there's a lot of work, I suppose, body of work there in, in, in removing um, pieces of equipment and various different things. So... Um, it will be closed, and, and while it was closed, um, I suppose it was really important on Gardaí Corner where we're saying that they, they'd be willing to uh, enter an agreement in, in, in keeping an office in Cashel, and I thought that was so important. So as a local authority, we have entered an agreement in, in the old motor tax office uh, element of the civic offices. Now, the rest of the civic offices is being utilised by the Brothers of Charity. It, that's that's on Friar Street there, Declan. On Friar Street. Yeah. But the old motor tax office has been vacant since 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 two thousand and fourteen. Mm. So I suppose, you know, it has its 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 front door there on, on, on Friar Street, just across the road from Hall's Daybreak uh, and Foley's Bar, just right across the road where people would be familiar be previously, you know, over the years going in doing their motor tax business. So it's been it's 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 going to be there on a temporary basis. I think we're looking at around six months, Fran, uh, of putting it in there. But I, I suppose I really appreciate the direct engagement the council management and Garda Sheikana have had with me on this issue because the cooperation is very much needed at a time where we have increased anti-social behaviour in the town. And I think it's really, really important mm. that we ensure a presence is maintained in Cashel and in the town centre. Like This is an on-street uh, location, but uh, I was know. looking at the the opening hours um, while they're in that temporary uh, office. Mm. There, I mean, those hours. I mean, they're not going to cope with antisocial behaviour. I mean, what is it? One thirty to four p.m. on Mondays, Wednesdays, one thirty to four p.m. and on Friday, eight a.m. to one p.m. Mm. So it's it's very and limited hours, is it? Oh, not? completely limited, friend. And let me be very clear on this: uh, while while these opening hours are not acceptable. The agreement yesterday was a significant one. 
You know, it doesn't excuse the issues that are here, and I've spoken in the past publicly, the council meetings and on radio, in relation to these new these new guard station hours. You know, it's mind-boggling. I suppose the growing population we have in Cashel, mm. in a strong business and tourism town, the increase in antisocial behaviour and theft. You know, so there, 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 you know, there has been a positive development that will keep some sort of presence. But you know, someone knocked that work. But I'll be working very hard to ensure, you know, a return of a full-time Garda station. And I see great potential, given the fact that there's a significant investment due to take place in Hogan Square. You know, and I've already spoken directly with the Minister for Justice and the Superintendent on this matter. And, you know, and I'll assure your listeners that I I leave no stone un, unturned in the pursuit of adequate and enhanced policing. And, and uh, Declan, be, because, I think, because obviously, I beg your pardon for cutting across you, but uh, because significant, we're talking about significant investment here. So is that an indication that we will have more Garda hours in, in the well, town? Well, well, right now, it, it, it's a strong indicator that, you know, we have a Garda station uh, in the future in Cashel. Like, this work has been overseen by the OPW, who, who kind of manage and, uh, who manage and own the Garda stations across the country. So that work is expected to commence, you know, in a number of weeks. Um, I suppose in terms of our hours, I'll be doing everything I can politically, you know, uh, through my role as a councillor, but also as a member of Fine Gael, to make sure that Garda Shia put the resources in place. Like, it's obviously great news that this investment is coming because Cashel Garda Station hasn't been adequately resourced in terms of not just personnel, but hasn't been resourced with the, pro- with the proper mm. equipment and proper facilities, you know, in the old Garda Station. So people, you know, people locally will be familiar with the Garda Station at Hogan Square, and right beside it is the old Garda House. That's all been, including the Garda House, mm. is all being revamped and refurbished. And is that listed, you know? Declan? Um, oh, that's, you know, OPW run this, it's all listed. It's all um, listed so, list, you know, yeah. I suppose there's a huge sensitivity around the site yes. as well. And, but, you, you know, know it's I such call... a vocal point in the town centre yes. that, you know, I suppose I look forward to the work commencing and, 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 and more, um, uh, more so completing, um, you know, because I think there'll be a great case to increase uh, Garda numbers. We need to increase Garda numbers. We're seeing Garda numbers down right across the county. Sure, and I spoke there about the opening hours on Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Outside of those hours, though, I mean, will guards be patrolling the town? Will they be in the town? Well, look, I I, I have huge concerns in relation to uh, Garda presence in the county and particularly in the town of Cashel. Um, I, I feel we need to see more guards on the beat, but unfortunately that seems to be Every stumbling block that I meet is is resources, it's numbers, it's we don't have the numbers. And you know, and I've raised concerns, you know, you know, we had a community policing meeting in the district that I chaired and you know, we, we, we had guard officials and our elected reps and we expressed concerns about the new policing model. Like, you know, people will be familiar with the old Cashel Care district. Mm. Um, you know, it's now the South Tiberi engagement area, you know, so you have you, you now have a situation where we've casual guards answering calls in Cork and Shore, Cork and Shore guards answering calls in Care. And so you have Clammel Care, um, Cork and Shore and Cashel in this new South Prairie engagement area. It's too big. And, you know, I express concerns directly to the Minister and I hope to have further engagement with her uh, in relation to this issue. But it seems to be all down that they're confident the model will, will, will start working when they have guard numbers. But it seems to like the the pony isn't pulling the cart here and the cart is pulling the pony 
And yeah. I think I think I think we really need need to see enhanced numbers. And, I mean, I, I'm a good deal older than you, Declan, but I mean, I remember when there was far less people living in the town. Any time you'd go to the Garda station, there was somebody it's, there. It's, you it's, know? Look, it's, 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 a, it's a growing town, and we're very proud of the way the direction Cashel is going in. You know, like I said, Fran, it's a huge business and tourism town. It's a great, great place to raise a family, you know. You know, uh, um, and I, I'd be concerned about the levels of increased antisocial behaviour and theft that's going on in, in in the town. So I think you know to have to have a, a Garda station operating as at these hours, you know, isn't acceptable. I certainly don't find it acceptable. But I think I suppose mm. on this development in terms of relocating the, the Garda station to Fire Street for a temporary basis is a big win. And it's a big win that we're keeping it present that we can still fight fight on in terms yes, of improving, even, even though it's, you know, only, only, it's only a handful of hours really have you as as Cahirlach of the municipal district have you any um communication with the chief super in Ennis oh yes you yeah, know we've, we've emailed and corresponded but I suppose my main engagement you know is is directly with the superintendent um in 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 the South Tipperary area uh superintendent Kieran and his team yeah. Um, you know, and I suppose there has been there's been serious engagement in getting this agreement uh, across the line. No, and, the, know, the only reason I'm asking you is there was a lot of concern about the chief super movie from Thurlis to Ennis, and uh, you know, one of the concerns there was the lack of communication, maybe, and the distance and mm. all of that. So I'm just wondering if you're sort of interacting well, with him well, in some well, ways. Well, I have to say, at a local level, um, Angarishie Hana have been brilliant. Um, but I'm, that doesn't withstand the issues, and it's, it's a resourcing issue, and it's, it's a national issue that I'm quite frustrated with, right. uh, you know, rather than the local cooperation, because the local cooperation is actually very strong, you know, and, uh, you know, right. and I really, you know, really appreciate and that. And can you allay people's fears for me today? Because I see three texts in front of me, and just to sum them up, basically yeah. what their concern is, that you know, closing down the Garda station for renovation may be used as a kind of a ruse not to open it up again as a Garda station. Can you can you allay people's fears on that? Well, I suppose, you know, I'd be very confident, given the, 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 the significant finance and, and investment that's going into uh, the Garda Shikana station in Cashel, you know, you're going to see an enhanced station with enhanced services, with proper and adequate facilities for the person. And, and you're, you're so, you sure know. you're sure of that, Declan? Yeah, and look, I, I know, like, let's say, the, the the old guarded house, let's say, a lot of that is going to be administrative roles for whatever this building is going to be used for. But I'd be confident that public, the public desk and the public office element, you know, can be looked at and increased, okay. and I'm 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 pretty confident on that. But but I'm very I'm very uh, pessimistic as well, Fran. You know, equally because I think I think we have to watch this very carefully. Um, you know, I'll be monitoring the situation very closely. And like I said, you know, I have initial conversations with the Minister of Justice directly. You know, I intend to reach out to our team again, um, ag- again over the next few okay. days. And keeping that contact open because I think it's so important that once this Garda station is delivered to a high standard, that we see an increased uh, increased hours in the in the in the public desk, 
but also increased numbers and everyone wants increased numbers all right. when it comes to Angarda Shikana presence. Oh, oh, That's oh. so important. All right, Declan, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you and good morning to you. That's the Cahirlock of the Tipperary Care Cashel Municipal District. Uh, Declan Burge is speaking to us uh, this morning. Again, do you want to respond uh, to that? Um, as I say, just to sum up, uh, some of the fears that we have from people out there is that, you know, once a once a place closes down, there are concerns that it might not open up again, but uh, Declan Burgess is of the opinion that it will, and in fact it will open up refreshed and renewed and all of that. Now, the government is planning to fast-track a section of the new Foynes Road to ensure that the bypass of Adair is completed in time for the Ryder Cup. In 2027, the proposed Limerick to Foynes Road is 33 kilometres in length. It will provide a motorway upgrade to the N21 Limerick to carry route in addition to connecting the port of Foynes, as you can imagine, to the motorway network as well. David Maloney of the N24 Road Group joins me now. David, good morning to you. Hello, Fran. Thank you very much for having me. You're very welcome, David. And I was thinking of you when I read this yesterday because I said to myself, what will David and the N24 group think of this? This is being fast-tracked, and it's being fast-tracked for a lot of the reasons that you would like to see Tipperary Town bypass, David. Oh, surely. I mean, it wouldn't be great if they um, fast-tracked this section around Tipperary Town, right? It just shows that politically, it all comes down to um, a political decision whether to go ahead or fast-track a road, right? And this, I mean, what is surprising... Right, is that okay? They want to fast track the right, the bypass around there for the Ryder Cup. But how about Tipperary and South Tipperary, the N24? I mean, we have seen three fatalities in the last six months, right, on the N24, and the three of them mostly um, involved um, head on collisions. And um, what's ironic is we have a road safety strategy produced by Tipperary County Council saying they're going to reduce the number of deaths to Tipperary Road. And their target for this year was less than four deaths. So far this year, we have had 16 deaths on temporary roads. And the council actually say in the road safety strategy, the best way to actually reduce the number of road deaths is safer roads. And in particular, roads Mm. should have central barriers. Because if you have a central barrier on a road, that eliminates head-on collisions, right, which actually are the greatest cause of fatalities because... You know, cars travelling in opposite directions cannot hit one another head on. But, uh, but all, all the more reason then, David, why people... I mean, don't get me wrong, the Ryder Cup is a great boost yeah. for the country and it's a great boost for the area and I have no problem with that. But citing that as the reason to choose the Adair Bypass to be fast-tracked, I, I find that... I mean, if I was involved with your group, I'd be hopping up and down with annoyance about this, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we do find it very annoying. I mean, another aspect really is um, they don't really seem to value life, right, or do anything to reduce. I mean, fatalities is one thing, but actually it's serious injuries. I mean, I've seen, when I was young, right, which is a long, long time ago, there was a girl and she was involved in a road traffic accident and she, she's in a wheelchair. And all her life she's been in a wheelchair. I mean, people have to live with these injuries, right, uh, all their lives, right has changed our lives, right? And what's really uh, shocking, right, is a lot of these um, accidents, right, could have been avoided and can be avoided by building safer roads and new roads. Another aspect about the entry for going to um, South Tipperary, right, is the TII have actually said and pointed out there's 64 locations where there are hazards and they actually have told Tipperary County Council, right, that they will fund 
right, making these hassles um, safe. And Tipperary County Council don't seem to mm. do anything, right? And, and you mentioned the TII there. And again, I'm reading today that the TII, this is according to themselves, they will be working very closely with Limerick City and County Council and other agencies and stakeholders. And together, they will do everything. This is a very strong language, David. They will do everything they can to open the bypass in this timeline. And that timeline is 2027, where the best that we can possibly hope for, and it's only uh, hope uh, where, where Tipperary is concerned, is 10 years' time. Yeah, and I mean, it's funny too. The TII actually say they're going to um, prioritise yeah. the bypass around Tipperary Town. Then I asked them, uh, well, uh, um, how is it that Tipperary County Council aren't prioritising? They're actually going for the whole section between Palace Green and Care. And you're talking about prioritising the section around Tipperary Town. If that was the case, you just prioritise the planning application and the drawings for the planning application because if they. What could happen, right? If they design, if they put in a planning application from from Palm Screen to Care, anyone along the route could object, and that would actually hold up the whole bypass, right? Sorry, the whole N24 and the bypass, right, indefinitely. So, I mean, if they're going to prioritise just the bypass from the Town, what I say is they should put in a separate um, planning application for it, you know, so that that means they're not exposed to um, objections to the planning. But I think the whole strategy, anyway, is to just see the TII are limited. They're given a pot of money by the um, by the government, right? And they have to spend it uh, right and prioritise what jobs they see are critical. And then you have Eamon Ryan. He starts he distances himself. He says, "Oh, it's not my decision what jobs get go ahead. I only provide a, a, a pot of money, right?" But he can. Like in this case, politically, people can push jobs. Yeah, but I mean, he's he's out there saying himself that the nation must prioritise bypasses, but he's been very specific about it there. And as I say, they keep mentioning the bloody Ryder Cup. You know, yeah. like now, don't get me wrong. I, I I passed through um, um, Adair last night. He was going to uh, Killarney. And I was sitting on my ass there for about 15 minutes or so. So I, I know the difficulty in that area, but equally I'd be sitting on my ass in Tipperary Town, David. Oh, you would. I mean, there's a serious delays going yeah. in uh, and out of Tipperary Town, right? You know, and um, even the road going in and out of town, there's no traffic calming as such going yeah. in and out of Tipperary yeah. Town, unlike all other villages and towns along the whole route, right? And there is a hazard and a danger. And Tipperary Town is suffering from pollution, from air pollution, noise pollution, you know. Yeah. And they're all the reasons that they're talking about um, to to bypass Adair, but that's all relevant to Tipperary. And Thurles have huge issues as well, you know. Oh, yeah, I mean, there should be a bypass in Tipperary. There should be a proper bypass built in in, um, Thurles, right? I mean, as I say, how can they achieve? I mean, it's it's farcical. I mean, they're talking about having no deaths by 2050, right? Mm. I mean, how can you achieve no deaths if you don't make roads safe? You know, so really, I mean, there is a need for, a, I mean, it's kind of step. Big lorries going through the centre of Turles, right? There should have been a bypass built there years ago. All right, David. And will, will yeah. you be, on the basis of this and on the back of this, will you be, you know, doing official complaints in some way about this? Will you be asking questions about this? Oh, we will. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about uh, amongst ourselves, right, about it, right, and what, uh, what we can do. But see, it's just very frustrating because what you tend to just fob you off and they just ignore you. And, I mean, we as a group, I mean, the council won't, won't engage with us, right? I mean, letters have been sent to TDs, letters have been sent to the chief superintendent, right? 
and the local the superintendent we were told would talk to us, but he hasn't spoken to us, right? So it's very hard to get anyone to talk or commit to anything, right? And then I think really the local councillors, right, right, and right, should be pushing it, right, and they don't really discuss it. They might discuss it at one but, meeting, right? But you're, ma- but you're making a rather interesting point there now, David. I'm just wondering about, I mean, is this a case that... The government representatives in the Limerick area, people like Niall Collins and stuff, have they an awful lot more clout than what our, what our do. lads do of here? Of course, of course. And then, do. of course, the and huge I mean, the huge investment by J.P. McManus there as well. That's right. I mean, and J.P. McManus, he's a great man, right? For, fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. For Limerick. He's, yeah. I mean, he's provided so much funding that people don't know about to so many charities, yeah. right? Right, and uh, I mean they're very lucky to have him. The fact that he pushes the uh, Limerick um, football team and he's brought so much money into the county, right? Yes. And that means they will listen to him and do something for him. So it's we, only right we, to, right? so we we need a JP McManus, is that it? And we need oh, we, and we need some we very do. powerful politicians. Politicians. All right, David. Good to talk yeah. to you as always. Look after okay, yourself thanks. and be safe on the road, which is the main thing, David. Thank you. Thank Bye you. Jeremy Lamar, good. Bye bye to you now. That's uh, David speaking to us there. 1800 Now, today marks the 60th anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy on Dealey Plaza in Dallas, a moment that changed the course of history, needless to say, and proved a defining moment of the 1960s. Um, I received a wonderful poem from my friend Johnny Broderick, and it was recited by the great Sean Keane, the the singer. I want to play it for you this morning. It's it's very short, but uh, it sums it all up, I suppose. The Collective by Johnny B. Broderick. There are freeze frames in history when we become the collective in grief. Numbed, helpless and frozen in a moment of tragic disbelief. He was the first of those, I remember where I was that day, carved in our memory bank, never to fade away. He was one of our own, every Irish mother's son, stolen in his prime by Oswald and his gun. TV and radio broke the news Everyone gathered at a screen. A violent death in every home, like near before was seen. We have many days of, I know where I was back then, when I was part of the collective, gathered in grief again. Elvis and John Lennon, the Miami show band bringing joy, and love it in the graveyard made a nation stop and cry. Bloody Sunday and Princess die, and the felling of the towers. Dolores, Sinead and Vicky, their loss, alas, now ours. Last year it was Ashling, and the vigil lights once more, and today the Gaza babies grips us to the core. I know where I was that day, may have started 60 years ago. Collective grief, collective guilt, where life's cruelty is on show. 
That's the voice of the great Sean Kane there with a piece written by an old friend of mine, uh, Johnny Broderick, who also looks after uh, Sean and is a, a singer-songwriter himself as well. Um, for our more mature listeners out there, I wonder, can you remember where you were when you heard about the assassination of uh, JFK? You might like to share with us 83 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now in the Uruguayan uh, capital, uh, Montevideo, uh, table salt is banned and uh, in restaurants and uh, salty condiments as well, such as ketchup and mayonnaise, I suppose. And uh, they've been banned since about 2015 in fact, in a bid to lower the salt intake of its residents. Now, uh, Professor Luke O'Neill, who well known to you, I'm sure, from his uh, uh, exposure during the pandemic, he was in Uruguay and he is also calling for this to be the case in Irish restaurants now to ban salt from their premises. It sparked a lot of reaction on the show and Joe, uh, Joan joins me now. Good morning to you, Joan. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Joan, what do, what do you make of this, Joan? Well, I suppose, use our intelligence here. We all know too much salt is bad for us. Yep. Too much anything is bad for us. But realistically, how many people are eating in restaurants every day for this to have any effect? That's the first point. Mm. Is it not more important that the salt and sugar content on goods is clear enough and in good enough print so that people can see for themselves? and take responsibility. Not everybody have an eyeglass. If you look at any food product, you'd want very exceptionally good eyesight or you'd want an eyeglass. Yes, yes. And even to understand sometimes yeah, what some exactly it, yeah. is salt or what is sugar because they they use these yeah. chemical names for them in all sorts Correct. of... Correct. Yeah. They do indeed. So yeah. it's not clear to us or normal human beings mm. well, unless we're, we're scientists or something to know what exactly we're reading or looking at. And what better still if we prepare our own food? Now, I can appreciate working people sometimes with families might take a convenience meal every now and mm, then, yeah. you know. But most of us will cook our little bit at home and have our own bit to eat, like, you know. Are, are we becoming a nanny state totally? Do, do you think we are, Joe? I think we are. People need to take take control of their own lives. It's a pain in my posterior. You're hearing about government should do this and someone else should do that and something has to happen. Expecting someone else to take charge of our life. First of all, we're giving away our control and our liberty. Mm. We need yeah. to be responsible for our own lives. What in God's name is happening with us all? So if, if, if the salt cellar is on the table, I mean, it's our choice whether or not we sprinkle it. It is, of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So if you ban it in restaurants, this is the greatest waste of brain power I've ever, ever heard of. I am amazed by Luke O'Neill. Mm. Could he not employ his intelligence much better and his influence and ban the use of drugs of all kinds and stop using this lovely terminology, recreational drugs? Mm. That's only normalising the whole practice. It's a zero tolerance of all drugs is what is needed. Look at the drink situation in our country. Yeah. Look at the drugs. Look at our communities. Look at our families that are affected by drugs. If he wants to employ his intelligence and influence, why not use it to do something really positive rather than yeah, you're going with on a whim? If, 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 now. if I'm trying to be positive about this, maybe the best that will come out of this is that we're having a conversation about salt intake. Maybe, well, all, maybe that's a yes. good thing. 
yes, Fran, it's always good to have a conversation yeah. about anything. But let's, it's lovely having a chat. But we, if we're going to waste our time having it, let's have a chat about something that really counts in life. Yeah. You know, to me, I have this whole, ter- as a real bee in my bonnet about this. When I hear the words recreational drugs, oh my God, do I see red. Red wouldn't describe my anger, to be honest. So there where, is no where politicians thing. are softening their approach to, to drug taking because this so-called war on drugs seems to have failed miserably. You you think it, it, it there should be a bigger clampdown, you think? Yes. Definitely, most so? definitely. There's not a, not a, I have no smidgen of doubt in my mind about that. I mean, you see so many people, you walk any street and you see young people, they're out of their heads. Most of the traffic accidents are caused by drugs, and that's either drink or drug drugs, as we call mm-hmm. them, which drink and drugs are all the one thing to me, they're all drugs. You know, anything you take that changes your mindset is a drug. End of story. I don't care what it's called. Or what the, and I remember being on your show a couple of months ago talking about these vapes and how dangerous yes. they are. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Bishop God, somebody is listening now. Somebody has woken up and said, oh, yeah, right, they're not great, you know? Because on that particular show, everybody was flying the kite for them, saying how wonderful they were and the way they were able to give up smoking. If you have to use something else to give up something else, you're using a crutch, Brad. What good approaches? So you Crutches become addicted great. to something else. Something instead. else, yeah. So, something so you're of an you're of an addictive nature. You need to be having counselling or having help, not given a different alternative. Mm. And now they're talking about oh, they're going to set up these clinics now where the druggies can go in and they can get something else instead of that. So they're only feeding the habit with a different habit. That's all. That's not addressing the subject at all, at all. It's yeah. a waste of time and a waste of space. But, but you see, they've tried everything where drugs are concerned in terms of control. No, they in haven't. Some way. Right. No, and you, not, not to me, they haven't. Well, no, they just haven't been tough enough, Joan. They haven't been tough enough. The laws are there. The guardie catch these criminals and all of the rest of it, and they're laughing into the courthouse and they're laughing twice as much coming out because they're let slap on the wrist and they're let off. Mm. Oh, sorry, I was using them for recreation. It's all right. That's grand. But they only found that bit. What about what he has in the loft or what he has in the boot of the car or the shed down the road or whatever else and they're out picked on the next See, day. Well, one of the issues is though we don't have any places in our prisons to put all these people then because if you were to incarcerate everybody who uses drugs, sure, you'd be... Yeah, but maybe some of the people that are in the prisons shouldn't be in it. Yeah. for a start. I mean, they were arresting people for not having a TV licence. I mean, that kind of carry-on and other little small things like that. And the big guys are getting away the whole time. It depends who you know and how much you have in your pocket. Do you think so, Joan? Yes, it does. Yeah, very much so. We're living in a very sad and very dangerous society at the moment. And I've said this before, and I, I will reiterate it again this morning. The amount of arrogance in society today you could catch it and grip it. It's so bad. And I meet it. I meet it on the streets, walking past people even. They shove you off the path, to be honest. They won't even stand. I had a time in life where you respected elderly people, you respected, respected women, and if there was a group standing there, they'd stand aside and let you pass. Now, you, you either shove your way through them or get off the path and get out of their way. All right, Joan, I must leave it there because I'm heading for news. But really good to talk to you, Joan, as always. And thank you. Thank you for your input into the show today. Pleasure. Thanks, Joan. News and information is coming up. 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, we've been talking about salt to uh, several of our listeners over the last uh, couple of days, but let's find out the real story now because I'm glad to be joined by Lauren O'Reilly, who is a nutritionist. Lauren, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? And it's great to talk to you again. I presume you've been following this story about uh, what Luke O'Neill is saying following his experience in Montevideo. Um, What do you make of that, the notion of banning salt from the restaurant tables to begin with, Lauren? Yes, it, it it does seem a bit extreme, to be honest with you. I think the first, and, and, and let's look at, I suppose, what you're, they're doing over in Uruguay. Um, so I suppose the first thing they're doing is, is they're, they're trying to give, I suppose, provide them the information, provide the health promotional information out to everybody to make it accessible. And then they're actually giving a tax incentive to restaurants uh, to remove the, the salt sellers from the tables, as well as having reduced salt options on their menu there as well. Um, so there's a lot of, excuse me, there's a lot of incentives there. Um, I suppose, look, it does seem a little bit extreme in the sense of, you know, banning salt um, without, first of all, within Ireland, uh, providing people with the information as to the dangers of salt, the sources of salt in your diet, how much salt should we, we be having per day. And I suppose I, I, I call that informed consent. Mm. When people understand, oh, God, salt is bad for me. This is what it can do to me. These are the foods that I might find it in. This is how much I'm meant to be having. Then it, puts, it gives people the option and the power and the choice to be able to make that health change in behaviour and then like, start with that, monitor that and then you can monitor the levels of, I suppose, heart-related conditions and, and other uh, ailments that, uh, as with excess salt, can arise in, you know. Um, so it's, it's start, I think it should start with providing the information mm. to, to people and hopefully I can I can help provide some of that. And, and, uh, and I hope you will. I suppose the, the the main thing out of this and the good thing out of this is here we are having a conversation about our use of salt. So that has to be a good thing. Tell yeah. us tell us uh, something about it then. Why, why is it so bad for us, Lauren? Okay, so there's lots of... I could, I could spend an hour on the phone to you talking about salt, but I suppose, that, number one, we do need a small amount of salt in our diet. Mm. It's, it's required for water balance, the uh, nerve contract, uh, muscle contraction, ner- uh, sending messages between our nerves and that sort of thing there as well. We only require a very, very small amount of it. Um, so about four to six grams per day, which is a bit, uh, almost a teaspoon of salt wow. is all that we really need per day. And I think the research has found that we're closer to um, 10 grams per day. So we're massively exceeding that. But that's not to any fault of our own. You know, we might add a little, you know, dash of salt into our dinner and that mm. sort of thing there as well. Um, but it is hidden in, in a lot of foods. I suppose going into some of the um, things can ar- that can arise as a result of too much salt in our diet. So just to make people think twice before adding it to our food, is it, it can increase our, our risk of high blood pressure, heart disease and stroke. Uh, it can cause calcium losses in our body then as well. But, but you know, even in t- terms of our bone density, um, increased risk of osteoporosis and that sort of thing there as well. 
Um, and then there's, there's actually been a, a link to stomach cancers, kidney diseases as well. So not to scare anyone on, mm. on the air here today, but mm. it can, you know, excess salt in our body can have a, such a negative consequences, which is why right. I think... But, but I guess, I guess the, the conditions you're speaking about there, that would be excess salt <laughs> over a long period of time, I exactly. suppose. Would, would, would it, Lorraine? Yeah. It would indeed. Yeah. But it be, that's a habitual thing. Yes. A lot of, I think we're all guilty of it. So we go down on the table, we haven't yeah. even tasted the food and then we're just kind of add, adding salt to it. Um, and a lot of chefs will be insulted by it. Is, is there no flavour in my food? Yes. It's also an automatic habit that we get into. I suppose if the salt isn't there for us to reach for it, um, then, you know, we can get also equally get into the habit of not adding salt to our food, if that makes sense mm. then as well. Are, are, um, we, are we tasting our food properly if we're sprinkling salt all over it? I don't think so. I don't think so. And it's... There's lots of, you know, even in terms of the, the, the types of salt, I did a bit of a look at on the, there are different, you've got your table salt, you've got your fine salt and your, your granules of salt, kosher salt, pink salt, and that's like, it's salt, salt. Um, so it, 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 as it turns out, of course, so it's the sodium content of the salt that we need to be conscious of. It's the sodium that causes the high blood pressure. Um, so the, the table salt, it, as it turns out, coarse salt is better for you than fine salt. Is that like okay. sea salt, is it? So exactly, so you can get sea salt as well. Coarse salt, so big coarse table, table salt has taken all the good stuff out of it. If you Ideally, it's sea salt we should be going for mm. um, because they've, they've, they've actually refined it so much to make it glowing white, your table, your table salt there as well. The best salt of the lot of them actually is, is called kosher salt um, and kosher salt just doesn't have the iodine but that has the lowest level of sodium in it. Kosher okay, so as, as... Kosher salt. Okay, all right. Yeah, okay. yeah, so kosher salt. And then people go, oh, this pink Himalayan salt, that, that sounds kind of good for me, you know. Mm. Now, it does have more minerals in it. Uh, it still has the sodium levels. It's almost equal in terms of your regular salt. But it's got, it's got iron, it's got calcium, it's got uh, potassium, it's got magnesium. So if you are going to add salt to your meals, that's, that's one of the ones then as well. Mm. Um but I, I suppose there's a few things that we can look at here. We can look at what are the adult requirements? What are the children's requirements as well? Because there's, there's some foods on the market, which I'll actually go through in a minute, you'll be absolutely shocked, that have such huge amounts of, of, of uh, salt in them and that we might be giving them to the kids and that sort of thing there wow. as well. So, like, like what, Lauren? Okay, let's go. Let's, let's jump to it. Mm. Uh, so keep in mind, an adult requirement is around four to six grams per day. Uh, for a one-year-old, for a one-year-old, you're looking at one gram a day. One to three, two, two grams a day. Uh, four to six years, three grams a day, and then it goes up to eleven years, six grams a day. Um, so that 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 that's our upper limit, and that can come in so easy. So let's look at some of these foods. Okay, so we're, we're looking at our kind of our processed foods, our long life foods. Keep in mind, traditionally, salt was always used to preserve. Traditionally, used to preserve food before we had refrigerators mm. back mm. in the day. But we don't. We have refrigerators now. So there's no real need for it. Um, takeaway food sauces um, are, are cured and processed meats. <clears throat> our soups, particularly your tinned tinned food, tinned soups, packet soups, um, and uh, some breads and that sort of thing there as well. So I dove in a little bit and I was like, right, let's find out. Cereals are getting a bad rep, but I actually went in and I looked at all the cereals and they're below, the, they're in the safe level. Okay, uh, an unnamed white uh, sliced pan came in at 0.7 grams, which isn't, which isn't too bad. 
keep in mind, a low salt is less than 0.3 grams and a high salt is higher than 1.5 grams. It's important to highlight that yes. before I go through the food. Yes. Um, so white bread is 0.7, which is kind of in between. In between, it's not too bad. Um, there's slim bread, unbranded, and it's one gram, and this is per 100 grams. Uh, breaded cod, you know those cod fillets? Mm. You're looking at mm. one gram per 100 grams then as well. The lasagna then, uh, the lasagna came up at 1.9. This is a this is a ready meal. You know the ones that you get yes, from the I microwave well. shop. Yeah. Uh, lasagna 1.79, close to one 1.80 wow. grams per 100 grams. So that's that's quite high. Wow. You think a yes. little innocent, tiny, teeny weeny lasagna, or a spag ball. Your spag mm. ball, you get. You know this is this is production line stuff. Spag ball is uh, two grams per 100 grams. Of, of spaghetti bolognese. That, uh, um, and, and that's not sprinkling anything. That's that's there that's in, before in the... Before you add any sauce. Wow. That's already in it. Um, ready, ready made beef dinner. This is this now. This is a microwavable job, not a fresh version now as well. Keep mm. in mind, they keep they keep it on the shelf as long as they can. Uh, ready made beef dinner is one point six six grams per one hundred grams. Um, you know, uh, if where the, where, where was it once? I'm so sorry. I love smoked salmon. I love it. Mm. Two point four grams what? per one hundred grams in smoked salmon, and people. And I'm just there. Oh, oh my god! I, I regret looking this up now. I'm joking. Um, your instant instant noodles—they're terrible for you. Any anyway, highly processed. The one you, the one kind of you add the boiling water to. Yes. Two point nine grams. Oh no! Per one hundred grams of salt, then as well. So it's. I just said, look, yes. I've always kind of said it, you know, if you make something fresh from home, you know what's in it. Um, and, and keep in mind, you know, if you're giving these, these foods to little kiddies and that sort of thing there as well, you know, their body just can't cope with with, with that amount of salt then as well. So, well as, I, as I say, Lorraine, at, at, at the very least, we're having a conversation. I mean, some of that exactly. has blown me away here because to be honest with you, I'm very fond of those sort of pot noodle type things. But like... Two point yeah. two point nine, you said, was it? Two point nine in the pot. <sighs> two point four the smoked salmon, hundred grams of smoked salmon. And, and uh, I, I always thought that was relatively good for you. Um, yeah, so it's good. it's kind of there. The, what blew me away was the spag ball, yeah. uh, the two point oh eight, and that's they're kind of you know I wouldn't recommend people purchase them. I actually used working quality control and food manufacturer before <laughs> in another life. Uh, so I've, I've kind of seen what goes into them. And also in terms of, you know, check the label. The, the larger the quantity of ingredients on the label, the more processed it's going to be. Um, keep in mind, I want to keep it on the shelf for longer. And also the, the price is reflective of the quality of the food. So if somebody's making a profit on a one yeah. euro fifty lasagna, yeah. Or a spag ball. You can be sure that they don't have the best quality ingredients going into them there as well. You know, it's not right. the same Italian and, and, style and, meal and, for and you. Another cynic on the show today. Lorraine, <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> for your time you. this morning. Thank you. Bye bye, Janelle. That's Lorraine O'Reilly there, nutritionist, speaking to us about salt. Wow. Uh, we'll take a break. Back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie All right, it's time for this. The Conspiracy Files on Tip Today. Um, 
And uh, Ellie is with me and she has more conspiracies under her arm. What is it today, Ellie? We're going to talk about alien abductions today, Fran. Um, now, given I, I'm second-guessing myself, given today is, of course, JFK's anniversary, I was thinking, should we have done that as well? Mm. And we, we, we've we done it before we and have, we'll probably yeah. delve into it again. There isn't a lot of audio when it comes to that. That's the only problem. Uh, but I went on down the alien abduction mm. route. Um, it's because of a documentary I kind of watched a couple of weeks ago on the uh, revelation from the New York Times and all the posts that have come out that essentially now the government accepts the fact, well, the US government accepts the fact that UFOs or UAPs, as they call them now, do exist. They're not quite sure where they're from or why they're here. But I think what it does is it shines a new light on what would have been the very high-profile cases of alien abductions. There are many thousands of people all around the world who firmly believe that they've been abducted by some type of alien being, that they were taken on board spaceships where they were subjected to painful medical examination. Interestingly, the cases of people claiming to have been abducted by UFOs really started around the 1950s, exploded during the 60s and 70s, and have somewhat died down since. Now, there are a couple of reasons maybe for that, maybe kind of a mass hallucination. Some people believe that there was an agreement with some alien species and the US government at that time that in order to um, benefit from alien technology, that a deal was brokered that they could abduct humans and animals and for do some research and for experimentation wow. in um, in payment for what they were teaching them in terms of technology. So there's a lot of different theories around it. But we're going to focus today on some of the most famous alien abduction cases. And we're going to start with Barney and Betty Hill. Now, Barney and Betty Hill, this case, it's often quoted as one of the first and most important abductee cases. A very interesting case. They claim they were abducted while coming home from a holiday at the Niagara Falls on September 19th of 1961. They're an incredible couple. I mean, they were in their 50s or so when they were abducted. And initially, what happened was they said they were driving on the road, they were coming home, their dog was with them. Betty spotted something in the sky that she thought initially was a really bright star and then she thought it started to move. So she asked Barney to pull over so she could take a better look at it. They were pulled over. She happened to have binoculars in the car so took a closer look at it. Could see that it was kind of a disc shape and they were watching it for quite some time. They got back into the car and then they claimed that this um, craft or whatever it was lowered from the sky and came right in front of them was very bright they stopped the car again got out of the car after that they don't remember anything Crikey. nothing they woke up three hours later on the road home they don't know what happened now they never said anything to anybody they thought it was strange they discussed it very briefly amongst themselves but they thought it was very strange Betty then started having serious sleep disturbances she wasn't able to sleep she said her skin felt like it was on fire. She was having nightmares that she couldn't account for. So she went to the doctor. The doctor couldn't um, explain what it was that was wrong with them or with Betty. Betty um, then asked if she could get maybe more help or see a sleep specialist. The GP himself knew uh, a hypnotherapist who happened to be just getting involved with UFO cases at that time. So Betty was referred to him and then under um, hypnosis, 
was able to, to give this huge story of how Barney and herself were abducted on the side of the road by alien beings, um, then ha- were examined. Um, there was some injuries to Betty as well. They were able to see different marks around her body and that's how they were able to ascertain it. Barney then underwent hypnosis and had the very same story. Uh, we have a little clip from Barney's initial hypnosis. This is it. I try to maintain control so Betty cannot tell I am scared. God, I'm scared. It's all right. You can go right on. Experience it. It will not hurt you now. I got to get my gun. Yeah, and he spoke about getting his gun. He had a gun in the car and he went to get it at the time, but he was told telepathically, and you will see that a lot in alien abduction cases, uh, there's no kind of verbal communication, it's all telepathic, and he was told to leave the gun where it is and to follow them. And they were kind of under their control. Now, I know a lot of people will listen to that case and be very sceptical, but what you need to remember, what makes this case so important, the Betty and Bernie Hill case, this was um, a mixed-race couple in the 60s they were not going to come forward with a story like this ah, and draw attention to right, themselves. Course, yes. um, knowing the kind of reaction that they would get from people. And also remember, Betty didn't come forward with the story. They didn't know what happened to them. This was a case they found themselves in. I mean, Betty went to, to see a doctor about sleep disturbances. So it's not like they ever looked for attention on it. Now, they were willing to speak, uh, but they were at pains to say that they never made money for it and they never did. Uh, Betty then was speaking um, just up until her death. She died in 2004. Barney died just eight years after the incident. Uh, Betty remained very vocal up until the end. Here's a clip of her talking about the beings on the craft. We gave them different names to identify him. Now, I don't know if he was the leader or the interpreter, but we called him the leader. And then there was the one who did the testing. We called him the examiner. There were nine others who stayed out in the corridor, and we call them the crew members. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're on board. What Do you remember what you saw when you entered the craft? Did something must have taken, taken uh, you aback, saying, this is amazing, or what type of craft am I inside? Can you, can you describe yep. as to what you collectively remember? Yep. One end to a corridor. 
And then I was taken into a room, and I had to step up because the floor, level of the floor was above the corridor, and it was an oval-shaped door like we would see on a ship. Do you remember at that point, did, did they specify what their agenda at that point was? Were you going Im immediately in for the examination or? What, what? They had taken us strictly to, to actually, they wanted to find out how we were like them or different from them physically. Mm -hmm. yep. Did you feel that you were chosen for this or you happened to be in the, the wrong area at the wrong time or the right area at the right time? <laughs> well, now I figure it was the right time mm -hmm. in the right area, but I think we uh, I brought it on myself. You know, I'm waving to him and yelling to him and hey, who are you? And all. You get into the examination room. You're separated from Barney. Right. He's taken into the second room. Your examination, and again, all this comes out in later dreams and hypnosis, but uh, immediately do they remove your clothes and perform what happens? <laughs> You'll have to. I'm, I'm tainted by all the popular lore of abduction stories. What, well, see, do I do? don't know anything about those That's stories. That's good. Well, you're better off. <laughs> but uh, I, I was taken into this first room, mm -hmm. and uh, it was quite bare. There was a small table, there was a stool. And then the wall, the door, there were doors in the wall that would slide back and forth. And they put me on a stool, checked my eyes, ears, nose, throat, my feet, my hands. And then he put me on a table and said they were going to check my nervous system. And they used some kind of equipment to do this. And then he tried to insert a needle-like instrument in my navel, which caused pain. So they stopped doing it. And uh, and the examiner left and went into the room where Barney was. Mm -hmm. What an incredible story. Yeah, poor old Betty. And incredible completely story. credible. Yeah. And her story never, ever changed from the early 60s. Another incredible story is the one of Travis Walton. Now, uh, I'm sure a lot of people might be familiar with the case of Travis Walton. He claims he was abducted in Arizona in 1975 while he was working. He was a logger at the time. He was missing for five days and six hours and his um, disappearance was very high profile at the time. Because he was working with a group of men uh, in that woods, five men that he was working with witnessed his abduction. They reported it to the police. The police didn't believe them. They were then um, suspected of murdering him and hiding his body. There was a huge search underway for Travis Walton. He then appeared five days later in a phone box. He made a phone call to his sister to say, come help him. He has been very vocal about his experience and it was made into a movie called Fire in the Sky, which came out in 1993. Uh, a great movie for its time. And even if you look back at how he depicts what happened to him on the craft, hugely traumatic and what was done to him all he remembers there was needles put into his eyes there was needles put into a lot of parts of his body and he lost consciousness he said it was like this transparent sheet that was put over him like a bed sheet but it wrapped very tightly to his body they were able to cut a slit in his mouth and one of his eyes and were about to put another needle into his eye and that was the end. He doesn't remember anything else until he woke up in the phone box. He's been very vocal about it as well. He spoke to Joe Rogan about two years ago and detailed his experience. Here's just a little piece from that. So we're going with the Travis With Travis piece, Walton. Okay. It was real slow. It was dim. Uh, my consciousness was kind of like in and out for a while. I didn't know where I was. 
the pain and the feeling that I was mortally wounded. Something, um, something was so wrong inside. I, I felt like I was dying. And this is what really fueled the panic when I finally laid eyes on these creatures. Uh, of course, you know, all of the uh, mental programming that we get from Hollywood that uh, aliens are invading monsters, you know, didn't help. Uh, but I instantly associated this feeling of, of dying with pain with them. So I was combative immediately. Uh, Where were you? I was lying on my back on a raised table. There was a light above me. Um, it was not real bright. It was um, not so bright that I couldn't, um, you know, see the outline of the of the fixture. But uh, what did the um, fixture look like? Kind of like that, only much larger. <laughs> uh, just a soft uh, glow and. Uh, in the movie, there's a little bit of striking on the part of the aliens uh, against me. Uh, that didn't happen. I lashed out at them. The one closest to me, I I felt really weak. I didn't have enough strength to, to do much. So when I my arm contacted him, he just fell back very unexpectedly easy into the other one. And I rolled off the table in the other direction. And uh, they came around the table, and the three of them were coming towards me. And I just grabbed something from behind me, an object off of the uh, shelf there, and started swinging it at them. Travis Walton uh, there. Yeah, there was a lot of scepticism about that at the time. They felt that Travis was in on it with the, the people that he worked with, that they were all in it together because it kind of coincided with the National Enquirer had this huge competition running at the time that your best UFO story will get. I think it was $5,000 or something at the time. But all of those men, Travis Walton and five other men that he worked with, they didn't get along, first of all. They all hated each other, but they all passed polygraph tests straight afterwards. Um, still a lot of scepticism about Travis Walton as well, but it's still kind of regarded as one of the great UFO abduction stories. Mm. Now, when you talk about UFO abductions, you have to talk as well about the the kind of the academics behind it. And Johnny Mack would be someone who'd be very well known. He's a Harvard, was a Harvard University psychiatrist, Pulitzer Prize winner, and was the author of Abduction. He became a leading voice in that. He went into it very sceptical, and it was through a referral that another um, psychologist wanted him to see somebody. And Johnny Mack always felt that people who claimed to um, be abducted by aliens, that they're suffering from some kind of psychosis or mental, mm. mental illness. So he went into it with that kind of understanding or that basis. But his mind was quickly turned when he started studying them and became one of the leading kind of academic voices in alien abduction. Here he is speaking in 1994. In this culture, evidence has come to mean some physical object right. that uh, we can measure, touch, uh, take photographs of and be certain of its pedigree, where it came from. But I suspect in something which is as unacceptable as a reality as this phenomenon, 
no piece of physical evidence would satisfy anybody. We'd be arguing that whoever found it was hoaxing it or making it up. But evidence can also come from other ways. Evidence can, in my discipline, psychiatry, and I've played my strong suit in doing this, is evidence that comes from clinical discrimination. And what I found was... A discriminating look at clinical evidence. Exactly. In other words, you, you look and you listen to what a person has to say about their experience and you say what could this be and nothing in my forty years of working with people prepared me for this phenomenon it was what people were telling me with doubt incredulity themselves no one has in spite of what critics say anything to gain as far as i can tell from this nobody wants to be a member of this club they want to be found wrong the yes. people that have had these experiences they want to be told this can't be they and want to be given. told there's another explanation for what happened to you and here it is and therefore nothing's wrong yeah. with you and you're not part of some and these are exactly and these are people of sound mind healthy people by and large they've been traumatized many of them by these experiences but they're reporting in great detail narratives that are highly similar which they have not gotten from the media most of these details are not in the media they come forth reluctantly they know who to talk to and who not to talk to, which is not true of people who have delusions, you know, or have come yeah. up with something which is a reflection of a, of a mental illness. And the only thing that I know that behaves like that is real experience, where something has actually happened to these people. Then the question is, what has happened? Right. And that's where I've taken it. All right. And that's uh, John E. Mack. Where do you yeah. stand on it after all uh, of this? I'm not too, like, I think people do have experiences. And what, what I have to say about John E. Mack was an incredible man and very vocal. Died mysteriously in 2002 in a hit and run in London. Did he indeed? He did indeed. He was also involved in, there was a famous um, UFO sighting at a school in South Africa, the Aerial School in 1993. He was involved in interviewing the, the students after that as well. So he's very well known in the industry. Like if you're looking at it, you'd have to say, well, if it does happen, why are they doing it? And there's a number of kind of reasons or, or theories for it. The most popular one is that they're doing it for research to see what we are, what our makeup is, and that would account for maybe cattle mutilations that we hear a lot of. They're doing it maybe for observation, that they are an intelligent race who are observing us, that we would be very low in the pecking order, a very young race in their eyes. Also another theory, we're an agricultural product, that we were placed here many, many moons ago by these alien species, and they're observing us and will harvest us when the time is right. Another mad theory is that they are, in fact, future humans who are coming here to observe us and look at us. Wow. And that theory is all like, it, you know, if we, um, if we evolved from apes, if you look at how we've evolved, like our bodies are smaller, our heads are bigger compared to chimps. When you look at the, the classic profile of the grey alien, their heads are very big, their bodies are very small. So maybe that's how we evolved. I don't want to be disappointed because when they come back for us in our entirety, we're full of salt, sugar, drink and... <laughs> and anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> and deep anxiety. Yeah. Ali, thanks, thanks very Fran. much indeed. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.
So welcome along to the final hour of uh, Tip Today. Now, the winner of our prize, and that is festive afternoon tea for two at the Tablet Hotel. That's going to Siobhan Dunn from Mulnahan. Well done to you, uh, Siobhan. And that's by way of celebration of the fact that the Tablet Hotel um, Winter Wedding Viewing Day is happening on this coming Saturday between 11am and 4pm and everybody's welcome along to that. Now more housekeeping for you because if you want to register for our Match 3 game in association with our good friends at Stakelands all you have to do is give us your name your details, put Match 3 at the end of your text or WhatsApp and we'll be calling somebody back very very soon indeed. Now for the first in our series of Tipperary Arts Pieces, uh, we're Delighted uh, to be joined by uh, not one but two singer-songwriters in uh, the studio. And with me is a gentleman you know very well, James McGrath uh, from Nina. And he's brought a friend of his with, he, with him uh, today, and that is uh, singer-songwriter Stephen Murphy from Dublin. So you're both very welcome, and thanks thanks very much indeed uh, for coming into us. James, can I go to you first of all? And Will you tell me about the link with Stephen and where you met him and how this combination came about? Hi, Fran. Yeah, thanks for having me. Welcome. Um, so Stefan, um, Stefan, there's a there's a great songwriter in who's living in North Carolina called Dylan Walsh, and he put me in contact with Stefan. Stefan was in Nashville, and um, Stefan kind of was like a guardian angel to me in Nashville. Was he? He looked I, after you. Yeah, I took a <laughs> I took the plunge, and I said I'd um, I said I'd get there. Mm. I, I I meant to go there ten years ago, but um, I said I'd get there, and um, so I said. Uh, Dylan said, just find Stefan and you'll be fine. Right. Find Stefan and you'll be fine. And he picked me up one morning and we went for biscuits and gravy and <laughs> it was just... Uh, <laughs> Very. Why did you want to go, by the way? I mean, is it because it's the mecca of songwriting? Yeah. Is that is that really what it's about? Yeah, yeah, yeah straight up. Yeah. I just had this... Um, since I got sober, I had this thing that if I don't... If I don't fulfil some part of my dream, what was the point in going down the right road at all, you know? Yeah. So uh, I said I had to, for myself, I had to go and see Nashville. And was it everything you expected? It everything to and more. Changed? Was it? Indeed? Actually overwhelming. Was it? It was actually un- overwhelming how much you could do over there, how much music is going on over there. It actually stopped me in my tracks a little, how... Right. Because my my sort of perception of it was that it's sort of a cauldron of all the best songwriters everywhere and it would be very hard to sort of infiltrate that in any way. Is it, That's not the case, though, It is probably it? would be extremely hard to rise to the top over there, but t- even to be in the middle or anywhere near it in Nashville, you'd be doing fine. Everybody is, everybody's helping one another and, like, it's Brilliant. just... There's, it's in the air that people are out there to that cheesy going for their dream thing. Isn't that fantastic indeed. Stefan, so what about you and Nashville first of all? I mean, have you been going there for some time? Well, Fran, I've been living in I've been living in the States for a a number of years um, because my my wife is originally from originally grew up in Atlanta so I was living there and um, the opportunity the opportunity arose for me to be in in um, in in Nashville uh, to make some music, and I just kind of um, I just kind of I, I I didn't really like 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 James more or less like I, I I was there a little bit longer and a little bit before, but I arrived there with no expectations, not knowing whether it would be 
whether it would suit me or not but I just met all the right people like like he was like he was saying in terms of meeting me I think one of the reasons I was so open to to open and willing and capable of, of, of helping him when he came along was was because when I came to town there were so many people open and willing and, and able to help me so it's kind of like yeah. you know you, you, you pay it forward there's a lot of you know the music industry is probably well known for its kind of very gatekeeping kind yeah. of yeah. mentality and i i uh, i didn't exp- i didn't experience that there as isn't, much isn't as it's fantastic to be yeah. able to say. and and did you have success with songs out there Stephen? well i literally i was i was making a, a solo record out there which 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 um with a producer called james meekin which um I referred to I, I referred our James here to, to and uh, he he subsequently went on to make a record with him as well. But that record is actually not coming out until okay um, until January. So right. I'm still in, I'm still I'm still reaping the re- rewards of Nashville. I've moved back to Dublin. Uh, I've moved back to Dublin full time for the first time in eight eight or nine years. So. Yeah. Um. And but but having having made Nashville my musical home, and I, I think James will will agree, will agree with this. Like the door is open to keep to keep going back and forth and, yeah. and, and working on great. projects. I, I, I'm stuff. so delighted to hear it because again, my perception was it was very commercialized. There, it was a clothes shop, hard to get in. But your experiences have been quite different to that. Um. Again, he he mentioned James Meekin, and there's a guy, um, another guy, Eli Steele, who played on both our records. There's a community there. They're just really good, nice people. And we found that nice nook and cranny that we're in over there. Isn't, and, it, isn't it great? Yeah. You're going to do something together, first of all, are you? What, well, what, it turns out you? we have a mutual friend in Shane McGowan. So, yeah. um, no. <laughs> you, you both yeah. know Shane. Well, I, yeah. I, I made a record with Shane uh, m- many many years ago because uh, I, I, Earlier in my career, I was being managed by the great Frank Murray, who was who was manager of the Pogues and Lizzie and yeah. and a few others who passed away a few years ago. But but uh, Frank got myself and Shane together to record a the version a version of a Towns Van Zandt song called "Waiting Around to Die," and just I, I've been very conscious lately that Shane is not in the best of health, mm. and you know sometimes it's it's good to celebrate our heroes while they're still around to sure. to, to be celebrated, yeah. you know. And, and and what a hero he's been yeah. to so many of us. Uh, so what are you going to do? Are you going to do that song? Or what, what are we going to do, James? I think Rainy Night and Saw. Oh, yeah. Okay. Great song. Yeah, yep. great he, song. Said, um, he said to my friend Dave Lally, God rest Dave, Dave has passed away. Shane said to Dave, it's the closest I got to perfection. When wow. when he wrote Rainy Night, so. but what a song! Though. Now, um, you must forgive whatever way I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll be terrific. So it'll, here be, clo- it'll, it'll be close to perfection. <laughs> <laughs> James and Stefan together with this.
our friends grow up together And we saw them as they fell Some of them fell into heaven Some of them fell into hell So I took shelter from a shower And I stepped into your
Oh, well done. What a song. What a song. What a lyric. It's uh, it's yeah. just incredible. So re- remembering the great uh, Shane McGowan. So as, as you said, Stefan, a, a, a little unwell at uh, the moment. Uh, tell me about the gigs because there, there's a, I know there's a couple of Dublin gigs, but there's also a Tipperary gig, isn't there? Well, um, first of all, the big gig that's coming up is Stefan's gig. And he's just been so kind to bring to let me open up for his gig in Whelan. So I'll let Steph talk a bit about that. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I don't know how how far your listeners like to venture outside of uh, Tip, but uh, yeah, there, I'm doing two nights in in Whelan's. It's my first headline gigs in Dublin since before COVID, so it's kind of a big deal to me personally. It's great to have James involved. Um, it's the seventh and the eighth of December in Whelan's. And then we're doing a double header in Templemore locally to hear um, Tom Tom Canelli's pub, the, the Bucks. Yeah, That's a great Tom Maher's in. Yeah. yeah, the Bucks yeah. at Templemore on the ninth. Myself and James together, and we're 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 planning something a little bigger in Dublin, like a little bit of a step up for both of us, maybe yeah. uh, in the Button Factory in the springtime. So, you know, we've we've we formed a we formed a good friendship and and connection, and it's great great to connect with other musicians Isn't who I, I I hadn't. You know, I hadn't known before, so hopefully, I'll be allowed into Tip now because I have someone to stamp my passport. And, <laughs> I heard, and, and um, vice versa. I heard something. Someone say this the other day that they say, um, "Iron shapes iron, and a man shapes man." I, I thought of that when I met Stefan. Like, there you I, go. I've well, learned a lot from him. Yeah, well, you'll get used to that in the fertile song. <laughs> okay. I would have Stefan, will you do one one of your own songs? Yeah, I will. I'm going to do a song. Uh, I, I made a record. Um, I made a record in Nashville called Hospital Verses and it's a lot of it's about, you know, personal development and you know, recovering from a recovering from mental health and other sorts of stuff and I'm sure that the, unfortunately there's a lot of um listeners that might relate to a lyric or two. This song is called Crystal Chandeliers. It's it's kind of about unfulfilled potential in life, but the willingness to kinda, you know, keep going with it. Let me do a little quick tune-up. I wouldn't nope. do that to your listeners. Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem at all in your own time. Um, Just in case you've just joined us, James McGrath with us in studio. Stephen Murphy, both of them uh, singer-songwriters, uh, just sort of fresh back from Nashville with some uh, good experiences out there as well. By the way, uh, this and many of these type of items we'll be bringing you over the uh, next uh, few months. Temporary Arts, funded by Kamushun Naman, uh, Sound of Vision, around 50 uh, Tip FM, and uh, building resilient communities in County Tipperary, I'm assured as well. So this is Stefan with his own song. Thanks a lot, Frank. This is called Crystal Chandeliers. Driving home from the hospital For the third time in only a year All the bars lit up All the stars lit up Like crystal chandeliers As the children at once became dreamers Alone they would find us Alone they would never leave us May you shine like crystal shine. 
bags the riches of the poor and I chased after that golden sun I thought it would make me pure my mother swore in abstract terms I would be some shine My failure to be ate into me like a cancer. May you shine like crystal chandeliers. Onwards to the Together we fall Where there is hope All is fear May you shine Like crystal Chandeliers At six in the morning You're still not here Smashing song. Lovely, man. Smashing song. Lovely lyric there uh, as well. Um, congratulations to you on that. That's that's terrific. Is that part of the new record? Yeah, that that's the, that's the first song on, on on the new record and it's going to be out in... Um, it's going to be out in January, but if you're real, real sneaky, you might find it up on... Uh, Spotify already because I'm very good. I'm yeah. weird like that. <laughs> I couldn't get over how immersed in that you were when you were singing it. And yeah, just... it's like I mean I I, I used to think to myself, oh, you're going you're you're playing in front of two people or you're going on the radio or whatever you you, you know you know you have to hold back, but like 
Unless you get into it, yeah. Unless you get into it, no one's getting nothing out of it. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, I got loads out of that. Thanks a lot, great. Sp- Smashing and well done to you. Just to remind people again, James, about the particularly the Templemore gig. That's on the ninth, okay. the ninth of December. Tom Maher's in the books for the great Tom Canally right. from Templemore. Yeah, brilliant. So eight, it, and eight p.m. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's put it out there to uh, Shane McGowan as well. We wish him well. And, yeah, we love you, Shane. Yeah. All right. Thanks, yeah. guys. Big love from the Wolf and hello to Tom Crave. He's listening. He's, uh, <laughs> Real pleasure to see you both. A real treat for me today. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, friend. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks for having us. Well. we'll take a break. We're back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Well, it's time for this. Tip FM's Match 3 Game. Tip FM's Match 3 Game. With Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Stakelum's.ie and uh, Denise Brennan is with me. Good morning to you, Denise. Good morning, friend. Nice to talk to you today. Whereabouts in the county are you, Denise? Uh, Nyman House, near Carrick on Shore. Very good indeed. So you're all ready to play match three? Oh, I think I am. <laughs> <laughs> I love the little groan at the start of that. Well, you know the story, I'm sure, well at this stage. You have to match three boxes. And uh, if you pick a box where the prize is already gone, we'll give you another shot at it. If you still pick one that's already gone at that stage, we have to say goodbye to you. Are you quietly confident, do you think, Denise? Uh, no, I have some pairs. But, uh, All right, no. well, let, let, let's see what happens. Pick a box for me and we'll see, we, we'll um, see how you do. Uh, box 69, please. Box 69. Let us open box 69 and we will see what the story is. Now, box 69 is Deluxe Paint the Room set of paints. It's valued at just under €140, Euro, so it's a nice prize. Um, open another box and let's see if we have a match. OK, box 24, please. 24, you say, is it? Yes. OK, let's open 24. You're doing extremely well indeed. Another deluxe paint the room set of paints. €140 is the valuation there. You have to match the third one for me, Denise. So what box will I open for you? Uh, 44, please. Let's go with 44 and see what the story is. You ready, Denise? Yeah. (laughs) Hey. Hey. So, have you lots of rooms you could paint with this? I'm uh, sure I'll find somewhere to put the paint. <laughs> Keep me busy over Christmas. Very good. Are you handy yourself? Would you be you be okay to paint yourself, would you? Uh, I'll be okay on the walls, but not on the corners. All right. Well, I, I can tell you, you'd be a lot better than me anyway, that's for sure. Congratulations to you, Denise. Do you want to say hello to anybody as you're on? Um, just say hello to anyone who knows me and to my two kids in Australia. Oh, very good. Whereabouts in Australia are they? Um, one is in Perth and one is in Sydney. Ah, very good indeed. Well, I hope they're doing well out there. Denise, lovely to talk to you today and thanks very much indeed. You too. Thanks Thank a million, friends. Bye-bye, friend. you know. Bye-bye, Denise. Bye-bye. TFFM's Match 3 game. Unwrap an early Christmas present from Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Stakelum's Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Shop online at stakelum.ie. Match 3, win the prize. Tip FM. Well done to lovely Denise there. Now, as I've been telling you since about nine o'clock, today marks the 60th anniversary of the assassination of JFK in uh, Dallas, a moment that I suppose you could say changed the course of history. We've been putting it out to our listeners, uh, our more mature listeners out there, to see uh, if they can remember where they were when they heard the news. Jerry joins me now. Jerry, good morning to you. 
Morning, Fran. How are you keeping? I'm very well indeed, Jerry. What about your own memories, Jerry? Oh, I remember very clearly. I was at home. Well, what's we about at home? Sorry. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, my father was at home, and uh, I went in my cellar. Yeah. You know, he got a heart attack. I think nobody was going to expect this kind of thing. Like, well, he wouldn't be, would you? Like, you know, I mean, it made world news, like. Of course. And what was he a big fan of JFK? Was oh, he was, yeah. Was yeah, he, yeah. He was, yeah. Well, I, I think everybody was, in a sense. Yeah. You could start to see this young guy. Like, I mean, he was taken away from a set of, um, <clears throat> like, I mean, he could start to say that Devonair was an old man at the time and De Gaulle and all these, these yeah, were all yeah. old guys who had done it, but... This was a fresh man with fresh ideas. Yes, and he looked like I'd a film like star, the, didn't he, with the tan? Oh, yeah, he was even like, but he was a statesman, though. Yeah, yeah. And um, what, what age were think, you at the time, Jerry? I was about seven. About seven, okay. But you remember it really clearly. Oh, I remember it clear as anything, yeah. clear as a whistle. Yeah. But the thing about him was, about Kennedy was, there's a lot of people forgetting what he'd. Um, you were on there a few minutes ago about the space about the space stuff. He yes. he was the man that wanted this. He started all this about going to space, and mm. uh, unfortunately, he never saw the results. Because yeah. he he was dead shot in sixty. He was dead in sixty three. That happened in sixty nine. But he started the wheel in motion, as you could say. We're we're getting out there and and explore space. Yeah, so you think he was instrumental in in that? I was looking oh, through, through the papers as well. I mean, when he came to Ireland here, Jerry, it was like it was like oh, a, a god descending on the place. Yeah, we got days off for it from school you know, for it. Up. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And there's another thing that has to take place too. That um, remember in '62 with Khrushchev and the Bay of Pigs and sure, uh, yeah. Fidel Castro, yeah. Cuba. He yeah. never got the full credit for that, Kennedy. I, I, now, this is my opinion, mm. and the reason why I'm saying that is, if you look at where the world is going at the moment, mm. all the politicians. There's no one talking peace. Yeah, I agree. It's with about you can I give you an F-16 jet? Well, you, you only supposed to give me a submarine. Yeah. But he stopped. He. He actually prevented World War Three. Yeah, because we were so close at that point, weren't we? Right, so we were gone beyond the 12 o'clock yeah, mark. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the thing uh, was, there was a book out at the time, I think, no, it was the Civil Defence, well, I call them Civil Defence, but I get now exactly who they were. It mm. came from the government. Mm. But they had a book out, Brad, that was hilarious. If the nuclear bomb went off, you had to go under the table. <laughs> Now, Fran, they wouldn't be they wouldn't be in passion because the country wouldn't be here. Why is they going to say but that's hilarious thing which looks like That's as bad as them sending around the iodine. Do you remember they sent around the iodine tablets there? The iodine tablets, yeah, mother of God stuff. So go under the table. Was that are you serious about that? Was that Yeah, there was a graph in the book, yeah. Go under the table. Because my father laughed at I said, who the name of God published that? Uh, I won't use the words he said, but... <laughs> if he was around now, he'd have a heart attack. Oh, around. my God, yeah. But see, there's none of them talking peace there's, now. There's not, no. no. And Kennedy was a statesman, I think, and I think his own Democratic Party should recognise what he did. Yeah. And the world. Yeah. I mean, he put the hand of friendship to Khrushchev. OK, we all know what Khrushchev was like on the Russians. He was testing him. Mm. But it didn't work. Yeah, you've a great admiration for him. Uh, uh, he, his character over the years, though, have been tainted by all sorts of allegations have, I don't buy stuff. You, you I don't, don't buy that, any, do you? I don't go into, the, into that. I take what the, what the man did in politics. Mm, and that's yeah. what stands. Yeah. He's on private life. He's on private But see, that's Hollywood for you. Yeah. They want to make money out of films. They don't. They never came and interviewed the man, did they? I don't think they did. They wouldn't have a clue anyway. If, but there's a fantastic... If, 
Uh, sorry, do go on, Jerry. I beg your pardon. Yeah. There's a fantastic photograph of Kennedy in the Oval Office. Yeah. I think it was taken in 62, early, early 63, and he's looking out the window. Mm. Oh, I know and it well. Could, I know yeah. it well. It's a fabulous uh, photograph. Yeah. It's a fantastic photograph. Yes. Yeah. yeah, you could take from that, like, you know. But Alison was on this morning there a while ago about the, um, you were on about the aliens. Yeah, the conspiracy theories. There's a fantastic documentary about Kennedy out. Sorry, there's two of them out. Mm. He was, four days before he went to Texas, yeah. he was, he asked for alien documentation. And you could see the guy, now I don't know who he is, the Secret Service or was he a press man for the president or whatever, but he handed him the files. Now we don't know what's in those files. But I was often wondering, did he see something that he shouldn't have? And next minute he was dead. But there was uh, there's a new documentary out about him now that when Oswald, uh, Oswald took the second shot, mm. but he was shot straight in front of the front. There was a shot coming towards him. So there was a second shooter. And he slumped down in the car. So you, you think there was another shooter? They reckon there was uh, the, there were seven doctors that took the autopsy. And they're allowed to give an interview. Now, the interviews go back to 2013. And they were given x-rays. And one of the boys threw the x-ray on the ground. He said, that's not John F. Kennedy's skull at all. That's fake. Wow. Now, you could see that was fake, the way it was done. And they were told to shut their mouths, not to talk about it. So they're allowed to come on out now. I'm not sure how many are alive. I know the only two or three of them still alive. Will we ever, know, will we ever know what actually happened in there's Dallas? Two things yeah. I, the two things I can come up with. I reckon he was killed by his own government. Do you think so? The they C- were trying to pull C- out that CIA, CIA involvement, was it? CIA, MI, yeah. he could even put in MI5. You don't even know like what's going on. But when they took the, he when he took the first shot straight on, he slumped down in the car. And Jackie was supposed to say, "What's wrong with you?" Now, if you look at it in colour, he puts his hand up to his right temple. You knew he's had to be hit with something. Yeah. So he's slumping down, and they showed it now again. They have a whole new dimension of the of the documentary, all in colour, and you could see his head being blown up. So the next minute, there's a Marisi, um secret service agent. He jumps into the back of the car to try and help him. But they reckon that the, the second shot that was the one that was came from Oswald, and there was a, the first shot came from some guy in a fence. Everybody says this guy in a fence, but they don't even know who the guy in the fence was. They still have no photographs of this guy in the fence. And, and do you think that there are people out there who know exactly what happened? Well, of course they do. Oh. Of course they do. But it's not, it's not down in... Uh, it won't be written down front. And uh, most of them guys that speak about it are bumped off. It's like, it's like um, if, you, if you talk about here, you're 51 and 52 in America yeah. and you're, you're working there, you're bumped off or your family is bumped off. There's do, loads do, you really of them. Believe, no... do you really believe that, Jerry? Yeah. Oh, I do. I've read an awful lot of it over the years. And they have their own They have their own jet that brings them out to this area, 51. It goes into Las, yeah. Las Vegas Airport. Well, if the, you ever Google it, yeah. man, uh, you can... There's so many people to... that, that are working there, though. You'd wonder how they can actually keep secrets. But how they can, yeah. They say now when you go out in the morning that the shutters, are there, the windows are pulled down when you're about 40 miles out. The windows automatically go down in your hand, in your phone, yes, into yeah. a, so it's a specialised locker. But you'd often wonder, friend, as you said, like, give me, could you imagine if you were home on a Friday evening? How do you, how do you tell your, how do you tell your family that you're walking in this? I know. There yeah. must be some secrecy and stress, though. Well, it's a fascinating subject, that's uh, oh, for sure. Yeah. Jerry, thanks for sharing your no memories with trying, us. Man. Lovely to talk to you, and thank uh, you. And just, uh, um, what was going to say, you're on about, uh, what's your man, that, uh, the doctor? What's his name? Um, he's on about the thought. Oh, uh, Luke O'Neill. Luke O'Neill, he's making some money out of all these books. Mm.
Yeah. But I mean, I mean, if that's like the, I mean, what about the people years ago that uh, were at, uh, at plenty of bacon and uh, cabbage and, and uh, they died all, of old age? All, and cured, all the cured, with, cured with salt and everything. Yeah, yeah now, now we can't even have a cup of coffee, but it's bad for you. Well, I tell you, that's exactly what I'm going for now. <laughs> well, you'll have a good cappuccino. <laughs> and I won't let her be right. Thanks, Jerry. Look after yourself. <laughs> pleasure, no, pleasure my you. friend. Thank you so well, much indeed. Thank yeah, you. Right. That's uh, Jerry. All right, we'll talk about gardening in just a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Uh, hello to Helen in Nina. I agree, James is a pure dote. We're very fond of him here, Helen, and I'm delighted to, to know that you enjoyed himself and Stefan on the show this morning. Time now for gardening. Alton Nesbitt joins me. Good morning to you, Alton. Good morning, friend. Great to chat to you today. Indoor plants, it's that time, isn't it? It is, and it's a, it's a lovely time to have nice plants inside the house that um, gives a, a lovely colour, foliage, and even flowers and scent as mm. well. So, I mean, it's nice to kind of decorate, um, uh, say, if you have a patio door or even a conservatory or even even um, if you have a type of orangery or that, um, that you can have these lovely kind of, almost make the place exotic looking if you wanted to. But um, but there's also lovely plants for either the hall table or even as, as a centrepiece on the main table as well. Um, or even even to have something on the windowsill, something simple that that, that would give you good colour and scent and, and flowers as well. Mm. So I like I like things that really kind of take care of themselves, that are that are easy grown. Um, and a lot of people think or indoor plants are very difficult because they're hard, hard to to um, uh, keep and that. There's a lot. Of, there's there's a good lot of plants that really kind of they're, they're easy easy to maintain and and um, they grow quite well. So things like I'm sure they lovely uh, 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 parlour palms. You often see them in the old Victorian um, pictures and stuff like that of these lovely big palm trees, and they're they're quite easy to grow in a hallway, so that they're they're not in direct sunlight, uh, but just um, uh, let's say in a, in a large pot at at the hall door, um, and these give a lovely kind of arching, um, lovely um, uh, foliage that kind of arches out over uh, the the side of the pot and goes up to about nearly uh, eight foot high. But quite a nice, nice size uh, uh, leaf on it. It makes it very exotic looking. Other things that I like as well are the umbrella plants, uh, the chevalerias. These are quite easy plants to grow. Now, and they're, almost, they're actually kind of a climber, really. Uh, but they have lovely big bold foliage out of them um, and the lovely dark green, green leaf. You can get a variegated one either as well if you wanted to. But um, I think the dark green leaf is particularly nice. And again, a, quite a vigorous plant. Almost uh, will um, climb up and over a, a lar- if you have a large window. It will go up and over over the large window to make that kind of uh, exotic look as well. Other things then, um, which, which are quite nice, are the, the yucca gloriosas. Those are the, the, the yucca plant. Um, and they're big, uh, the spears, almost like big spear leaves. That come out of them, and they almost form this kind of an elephant trunk um, on on the the yucca itself. So it's almost like a quite quite a, a, an elephant's trunk on it at the main stem, and then you have these lovely sword-like leaves that come up from it as well, which are particularly good. Now they're quite pointy at the tips of them, so you have to be careful uh, where you put them, mm. so you don't take take the eye out of yourself. Yes. But they are they are they are quite nice um, uh, specimen plants really to have in the garden. Other things um, is the dracanias. Uh, the Madagascar dragon trees, 
and these are lovely, um, uh, thin, almost like grassy type leaves that come out in them. And yet the lovers have like um, the purple strip in, in it, or you can get a lovely, lovely dark green or the, or the variegated as well. And the tracanias are, are, are quite an easy one to grow, similar to the yucca, but I mean, much softer leaf on it. And it will have that kind of uh, uh, elephant's trunk on it as well. But again, uh, only goes to about four foot high, but lovely, lovely feathery type of um, grassy leaves that come out in it. Other things then are things with much bolder foliage. Uh, you often heard of the mother in law's tongue <laughs> that has a big um, uh, broad leaf on it. Um, again, a quite a, it's almost like a succulent plant, really. Um, so it needs very little watering. Um, or even something called cast iron plant, um, the aspidistras. That's the distance that will be broadly leaf on it. Um, and and they're, they're quite nice in the hall table as well. Again, very little maintenance or reminding of them. They really mm-hmm. kind of take care of themselves. There's water every so often when you, when you see them wilting, and that, that will bring them on fairly well. Some... Again, with a, lot, with a lot of those plants as well, it's good to kind of mist the foliage fairly regularly just to keep them nice and supple. Very good. You, you mentioned the yucca uh, plant there as as an indoor plant, but one of our listeners wondering about that: would it survive outdoors uh, over winter? Yeah. yeah, there is there is outdoor yuccas as well. Um, um, you, you can get the lovely yuccas, the lovely white flower, uh, almost like a flower spike that comes out out of it, and they're they're quite easy easy to grow. Um, it's almost like a herbaceous perennial yucca, um, and they'll have their, those kind of um, those lovely variegated yucca. Um, which would have that um, uh, kind of a spiky leaf on it with a yellow splash in the centre of it, which is particularly nice. Mm. But again, every every five years or so, it does come out with this lovely, beautiful, almost an um, uh, 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 ivory type of ye- uh, flower mm. that comes out in it. Lovely ivory. ivory every uh, five flower. years? Every five years or so, oh. you'd have this lovely, lovely um, uh, flower spike that comes out in it. And it's a particularly spectacular. Now, yuccas, the outdoor ones, they're, they're probably better if you're around the coast or, or um, uh, so that it doesn't get any frost on it. Mm. But if you are in the Midlands and you do have yuccas, just mulch over them, just to protect the tube or the, the roots from from any any yes. severe frost. And they come up fairly well. They love being in full sun and well-drained drained soil. But the yucca yuccas, they're, they're quite a nice, nice plant actually to have. Very good. And listen, says I have a twin heather plant that is shedding flowers indoors. Is there anything I can do to fix this? Really, with the, the heathers, um, you, you buy them with the, the twin heather uh, with the two, two different um, flower colours on them. Um, and once the flower starts to fade, you, you just trim it. You give it a shave, really. You trim off the flower heads, um, and that's what that will promote it to bring on new growth again. Um, and that will flower then again next year for them. So really, I always tend to do with the heathers, because heathers are, are relatively easy to grow, and, and even if it's an indoor one, you can actually transplant that out um, uh, and that, that will, will, will grow quite happily in your garden and almost form a kind of a carpet of lovely flowers um, in the, either springtime or midsummer, depending on the variety. There's then the Erica carnias, which are kind of the, the winter flowering ones, or then the Debesias, which, which tend to be the, the more summer, summer flowering um, heathers. Uh, Una was on to us and she's wondering about a large plant that might be suitable for a bathroom, Ulton. Yeah, I love uh, things now for bathrooms because the mist. Uh, of that uh, is the uh, uh, umbrella tree is particularly good at the Sheffalaria and the Sheffalarias um, will grow quite tall um, just in the corner of of a a, a shower between the the window and uh, the shower Uh, it will will grow quite well because it likes likes that kind of uh, mist 
on, on the foliage of it um, and it grows quite, quite easily. Um, and then it's quite a hardy plant. So the uh, Sheffalaria or even a Dracania or, or even um, uh, the Yucca the, um, Gloriosa, which, which would be quite nice as well. But I, I think the Sheffalaria's are probably the nicest things and the easiest thing to grow. A lot of people are trying, trying to grow the, the fig trees. Uh, and the figs are, are, you have the lovely weeping fig or the climbing fig. Um, and the, the, there's a uh, ficus banjimanii, which is the weeping fig. Um, it tends to lose the lower leaves if it, there's kind of a draft or anything like that. Um, so they tend, tend to be better grown in, in where the sitting room is, where it's nice mm. and warm and cozy. Yeah. Um, while the, while the, the um, chefleries or, or, or the umbrella plant can be in, in, in where the, the bathroom is because they, they like the mist and not as, not as warm. Right, a listener has a cone-shaped coniferous uh, tree that's wilting and starting to die. Is there anything I can do, says this listener? Yeah, which a lot of the, um, especially the two emeralds, these are the cone-shaped ones, but they're almost like pyramids. Um, and you'd often find them as uh, every fifth one that tends to fade on them. And so and they get a, get a kind of rusty needles. Uh, on it, uh, almost like a dye back on it. So really what you have to do is give it an, an, an Epsom salt, uh, like a magnesium salt feed at the base of the conifer. This actually gives it more disease resistance to any uh, fungal attack or any, any rust that may be attacking the, the needles of the conifer, especially the two-year emeralds that tend to get it uh, a lot. So use a thing called Epsom salt or magnesium salt, just a fistful of that at the base of the, the conifer. That will revive it and bring it back back to life again. And then remove any dead diebacks on, on the conifer. So tidy it up a bit. Remove any of the dead needles as well. So that allows more light and air into the centre of the conifer. So to promote more growth from the centre as well. So again, a feed of the, the Epsom salt and magnesium salt is the best thing for conifers. All right, Alton, happy gardening to you and thank you so much indeed for your time uh, today. That is uh, Alton Nisbet, uh, our horticulturalist, uh, answering your queries today, 1800-938-007. We're still getting lots of memories in about JFK. Uh, one listener saying, I was six years old when JFK was assassinated. We had a three-storey house. I was sitting at the top of the first flight of stairs. My father was in the bedroom. My sister came to the bottom of the stairs and shouted up that JFK had been killed. My next-door neighbour had a TV. I remember a crowd of us watching the funeral there. We got our first TV that Christmas. It was a Bush TV. I remember them well. Uh, everyone at the time um, at home eat cured bacon laced with salt. No wonder deaths due to heart attacks were so common uh, back then. That's it uh, for me. Emma produced Ali looked after our content today. Stephen's on the way with the Time Tunnel. He'll also play Match 3 and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.